Welcome to the Cat Builder Talk radio show with your host, small business expert, Mark Parham. Real talk with real people talking about real issues facing small business and our community today. Join us every Monday evening starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. To be a guest or for more information, go to capbuildertalk.com. Post comments on facebook.com forward slash capbuildernetwork. Enjoy the show. Good evening. Welcome to another episode of Cat Builder Talk with your host, Mark Parham. Real talk with real people talking about real issues facing small business in our community today. Helping you build a capacity to change your life. And as I say every week, helping you to walk in your purpose. Cat Builder Talk Show is focused on giving you the information you need to make changes in your life because we feel that information is key. With the right information, you can make educated decisions. It's go time. Are you ready? Tonight's show. A lot of people come to me talking about how to start a successful nonprofit. Tonight, I have two great interviews. First interview will be with Terrence Ross. He's a nonprofit expert. He's going to be talking about what are all the right steps to getting your nonprofit started the right way. And then the second interview is with Tori Hicks. She's philanthropic strategist and CEO of Youthnique. She's going to be talking about how do you build the right board for your nonprofit. If you weren't here last week, we had a great show. It was on marketing your business on a local, national, and global platform. We had Michael Campbell here, CEO of Black on Purpose Television. And along with that conversation, we had Dr. Sharon Smith, the author and wellness counselor, talking about how do we get ourselves together how do we communicate better? How do we build a stronger relationship? So if you didn't learn here last week, you want to go back and listen to this great show, you go to catbuildertalk.com and listen to this show and many other shows. I'm going to take a short break, and when I come back, I'm going to start these conversations out first with Brother Terrence Ross and then with Corey Higgs. So you listen to the Cat Builder Talk Show. I look forward to the rest of the show. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Oh, my goodness. You mean to tell me you haven't heard yet? You don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, wait a minute. Let me break it down and make it plain. On August 13, 2017, one of the greatest events is going to take place. This is the 6th Annual Nonprofit Trinity Awards that's going to be taking place at the Porter Sanford Performing Arts Center. Now listen, men, you've got to have your swag. Women, you've got to wear your finest, your gowns, because at 5 p.m., there's going to be a photo op session. Yes, people are going to walk down the red carpet, have their photos taken. It is going to be wonderful. Mix and mingle, they'll be all dirt. What is this all about? Well, let me tell you. On August 13, 2017, at the Porter Sanford Performing Arts Center, it's going to be the Nonprofit Trinity Awards, the sixth annual one, that is. For more information, you've got to go to www.nonprofittrinityawards.org. Don't miss this great event. It's going to be second unto none. you got to be there. Hope to see you. I wasn't prepared to be a caregiver to mom. I had no idea how hard it would be and what I would need to know. Things I never thought of, like how to improve her mood and ways for me to stay positive. Luckily, I found the Caregiving Resource Center from AARP. It had articles about the basics, but also information about the hurdles I was facing. 
Caregiving Resource Center at aarp.org caregiving. Articles, tips, and tools to help you both care for your loved one and care for yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hey, this is Mark Pryor, and I'm back. Cat Builder Talk. I'm going to set the stage real quick. Just want to give you a few facts. I'm going to be talking about nonprofits this evening, but I always like to kind of set the stage with a few interesting facts that I found. You know, one is 62.8 million people volunteered between September 2013 and September 2014. That's a volunteer rate of 25.3%. Okay. American Individual Corporation Foundation gave an estimated $3,335 billion billion to charity last year. And 31% of that happened in December, okay, with 12% getting donated in the last three days of the year. You know, revenue from major fundraising events decreased. Smaller peer-to-peer programs experienced growth. Nearly 10% of donations now come from mobile devices. And 16% are donors who support from an email, okay? So I'm just kind of throwing some stuff out here for you. But most than half nonprofits believe major gifts are essential, but 59% do not have a major gift strategy. And the last one I'm going to bring up is 46% of nonprofits do not have a budget for technology training. So with that said, just on a few facts, I'm going to bring in the man of the hour, the man with the power, Brother Terrence Ross, how you doing this evening? How you doing, Mark? It's great to be on the show. Man, great to have you on my show, man. I got I got to tell everybody that uh, Terrence actually let me cut my teeth here at ACL on business development. Uh, but, I, but I had to hunt him down for six months, though. He made it tough for me. But he made it hard, but when he let me in the game, he put me all the way in the game. He didn't let me sit on the bench. He just, I told him, Coach, I can play. He said, come play. So that's what happened. Now look at you. Now look at you, Mark. Now look at you. Now look at you. That's right. You know, so, Terrence, we're going to get into, you know, everything that you do, but given when I bring people on, I like to, like, you do your elevator pitch about your business or whatever, you know, what your business is, what you do, and uh, then we'll get into talking about who you are and, you know, how you got to be the crown prince of uh, <laughs> nonprofits. <laughs> All right, so go ahead. You had a mic. Uh, great. Thanks, Mark. My name is Terrence Ross. I'm the president and CEO of Rita Tech, and we are a social engineering nonprofit organization that specializes in working with nonprofit organizations, really using enterprise ideas to do a couple things. Number one, address social problems. Number two, create sustainability. And the third one is one I love, help to promote social responsibility. And, Mark, we really provide that support in a number of different areas. Number one, obviously, would be social engineering. Number two, we have a wonderful array of entrepreneurship software. We also provide business development we have a great series of training through our advanced professional education series. And then last but not least, we provide business coaching. And that's who we are in a nutshell. Wow. And that's a big old nutshell, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's really something. So, you know, now we got about what your company does. Let's talk about you. You know, I don't know how far back we need to go, but you have quite a history. And now, probably, and the reason why I call you Kyle Prince is I always thought Sonny was the king, okay? Uh, <laughs> but uh, but let's talk about you, your history, just your 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 background, and why you got into this. You know, 
things like that about from the you know from the nonprofit perspective. Well, you know what, Mark? Uh, I've been doing this now for about 15 years, and I really cut my teeth in a a nice little city called Huntsville, Alabama, where I went to school. And a large part of what I was concerned about was really on how uh, communities had started to make changes, what could I do to impact the quality of life for other people. And by doing so, I was also trying to find a passion uh, for what I was doing in a way that I could make money doing it. And most of the nonprofit arenas at this point had the traditional model where you kind of beg for the money and you give away the service. Uh, but it didn't provide a lot of stability, certainly what I, not what I'd gone to college for. And uh, as we were starting to develop these programs, I got more and more interested in how they were not only formed, but what great work they were doing. So I started thinking to myself, why don't I just create a company to do some of the things I really enjoy doing? You know, I speak life into people every single day. And as we were doing that, I was torn between the notion of creating a for-profit company and a non-profit company. Uh, the for-profit company obviously allowed me to be able to pay my bills and to be able to take care of my family. The nonprofit portion obviously gave me an opportunity to speak to uh, providing opportunities for those who couldn't provide for themselves. But I wanted to find a mesh in that some kind of way. I said it has to be a way to provide this in, in an atmosphere where I can do both. I can take care of myself and do some good at the same time. And uh, lo and behold, about hmm, somewhere around 10 years ago, we started working on a, a business model that really – allowed the best of both worlds, this whole notion of social enterprise. And it was a very strong concept that it started to take some shape. It was very new. It went against all of the grain of traditional nonprofits because we were taught that if you get this capital, you need to beg for it and you give away the service. These people cannot under no circumstance afford the capital. And, uh, and that, that kind of bothered me. It bothered me because this was an opportunity for people to not only become stakeholders in their future, but it also said to them those things which were important became important. So we started researching and researching and researching and found out that not only well, this is a great way to do it, but a lot of great nonprofits have always had a product and a service. And this social enterprise movement was something that was taken off. It just hadn't penetrated down to our community. So that's kind of the way I kind of cut my teeth when we started to develop these programs. And then I started to look at ways of providing training as a result of that. And I started stretching the bar again. And lo and behold, not only did people come, we started looking at ways of partnering with other people to do these kinds of programs. So that's kind of how I kind of got involved in the work that I'm doing and how it allowed me to sustain myself these number of years. Well, you know, I, I think it's interesting, but I think you left out something that's very important. You know, when I came aboard with you, you wrote a book that really changed a lot of lives. You know, it's called Thanks. If You Don't Like Your Harvest, Change Your Seed. And to me, that was a foundation that gave everyone kind of a basis of, hey, you don't like what's going on, change it, okay? Sure. And I want you to just for a few minutes talk about that book and the importance of it. You know, I know you're kind of downplayed. You're, you're a very humble young man, but I think the book uh, was a catalyst for a lot of major changes, not only in the lives of others, but also inside of your life. It really did. It, it allowed me. It, it really allowed me, Mark, to to take a strong look at where I was. I really wasn't happy with some of the things that I was doing. I certainly wasn't happy with some of the places that I was working. And uh, when I decided to write this book, if you don't like your harvest, change your seed, I was looking for something that gave me a foundation of things that I could use not only professionally, but personally, 
And we started looking at six principles that we thought that would not only work that way, but would be able to bleed into other parts of our lives. And what was cool about it, the first thing that I did in this process when creating this book, I created this entrepreneurship IQ test. And I kind of went through the notion of every facet of a business and what it took in order to get there. And what I found out, even though I was teaching it at some point, Mark, I was way off the mark. I was off the mark for a lot of different Mm -hmm. reasons. And one of the things that happened as a result of that is that I got away from doing what I love to do to start working on things that only paid me to do what I did. And as I started to develop, I realized at the end of the day, I was making money, but I was miserable. Absolutely miserable. Because the money doesn't solve all of the issues. When you have fulfillment, when you have true fulfillment, you know, the things that you do every day is not considered work. It's called enjoying your life on a different level. And so when we started developing this book, I started looking at things that needed to happen as a result of that. What was the very basis of making a great business? And the first thing we talked about was preparation. It was all of the things that were necessary in order to make you an expert at what you do. So I was watching a show one day with a good friend of mine. Uh, his name was Shelton Flemings. And Shelton had a great uh, concept that he did what we call a community garden. And Shelton was on Channel 2 News, and he was talking about this community garden. And he was talking about right, all the right. things that went into starting this garden, Mark. He, I mean, starting this garden. And I started thinking to myself, I was like, wow, what if I use the principles of starting a garden in the same way as the principles of starting a business? I said all of the tools necessary in order to develop a great garden could be used to grow, to develop a great business. And I literally That's followed right. that piece. I gave it some other names. The first chapter really talks about preparation, all of the things that were necessary in order to do that. The second piece, Mark, was called building a good foundation. You know what I mean? It was the things that were necessary in order to support the stuff that you were trying to grow. I love that. Get, get that really soil right. <laughs> you have to get the soil right. You have to get yeah, the soil right. right. And a lot of people don't understand the chapter three portion really spoke to putting yourself in the way of opportunities. You know, Mark, this is the only time that I've ever realized that when people are going after things that are business-like, they typically take the shorter route. But if they're going with right. something that is going to be career-wise, they take the long route. They'll go to school. They'll go to right. class. They'll take the extra right, stuff. Right, 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 right. But for a business, Mark, they just won't do it. They will take every shortcut they can think of. So they don't put themselves in the way of opportunity. One of the things I loved about the book we talked about was was changing your seat. It was really, really yeah. – it was literally doing that evaluation on yourself to say, how much of this is really me? How much is this everybody else? And what are the things that I need to change to make me be a better person? And when I started doing that, right. what was amazing about that piece, it was a seed changing moment that happened in my life, Doc, that at the end of the day, I realized that I had not put myself in the right position. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I had not even to become an expert. Yeah, that's what's so beautiful about what we're doing. You know, a lot of times as we're out here teaching, we're actually learning ourselves. I mean, I keep evolving almost after every class I teach. Correct. You know, I re, you know I evolve to something. I find out something new about myself. So, um, well, I mean, that's really really outstanding. And I know we got uh, we're hitting after the nine o'clock. I'm not going to do another break because I really want to get into. People would be very upset if we didn't move in. First, tell people how they can get your book because we, we gave them a little hint about it. There's a lot more to come with it, but 
we may talk about that at the end of the show, but how, how can they get to this book? Uh, there are two ways you can get to it. They can go onto our website and uh, request it at www.ritatech.org. That's R-I-P-A-T-E-C-H.org. Or you can call our mm-hmm. office at 404-267-1851. And just hit extension 700, and that will get to either myself or a member of the staff, and uh, we can get it out. All right. All right. So that now let's move into this this interesting topic. Uh, I know you have this thing you're going to do tomorrow night at the Urban League, you know, 10 things you need to know before you start a nonprofit. I don't know if we'll be able to get to all of them tonight. But let's start okay. talking about the most important aspect of those 10 things that you have. Let's see how many we can get through. Let's just discuss when people come to you. Okay, let's let's just do this. I'm coming to you. I got this big burning desire in my heart to change the world, and I want to start a nonprofit. So I come to you and I sit down and I say, Mr. Ross, please help me get this nonprofit started. What do you take me through? What are the questions you're going to ask me and make sure that I know before I get this nonprofit started? The first thing we always ask is, what exactly is your nonprofit planning to do? I think it's so important when people are starting nonprofits, they sometimes think about the passion and the activity rather than the business of the nonprofit. Because there's a big separation between something that you want to do as a part of a mission or a ministry. It's totally different from running a nonprofit. So the first thing we ask them to do is develop a mission statement that will allow people to be able to talk with you understand what you're doing, and be able to guide your nonprofit through the business of whatever you said you're there to do. And that's the difficult part. Most people know the kind of services they want to provide, but most of them don't really know what their business is designed to do. And keep in mind, a nonprofit is a business. It's a not-for-profit business, but it is a business. So that's the first thing that we talk about. The second thing we talk about is that we started to ask them now, there are two school of thoughts when you develop in a nonprofit market. There are two different business models. The first business model is more of a traditional business model. Now, this business model here is one that allows an organization to address a social problem really using a goodwill strategy, okay? That goodwill strategy basically says that you will beg for the capital and you will give away the service. That model is, is kind of fading out if you really want to know, too, because it's unsustainable. All right, and most people mm-hmm. believe that just because you've started a nonprofit, that the capital is going to roll in, regardless of what the guy in the spotty suit tells you at two o'clock in the morning. There is no such thing <laughs> as start a business. Okay, it's, it's not. There's no such thing. Now there are grants out there that will help you uh, expand your business. All right, mm-hmm. but there's no grant out there to start you. And there has to be some capital placed into the business in the beginning, just like a for-profit company to make it strong and to give you something to start on. So it's important to know that they understand those two school of thoughts. The second school of thought is the way that we teach it, is we create social enterprise organizations. These are organizations that are created to address a social problem using a capitalist strategy. And that means that they will be producing or generating some form of revenue that will allow them to become sustainable Mm -hmm without using grants and contributions as a form of absolute 100% funding for your business. Wow. 
And by doing that, it allows you to be able to make choices in what you do. So is it is it a nonprofit then, or is it what I mean? It, it is, is a nonprofit. It's still a five hundred one c three. Okay. It's still a 501c3, but it's an income generating nonprofit rather than a service driven okay. nonprofit. All right. Okay. I like that. I like that. That changes so the whole nonprofit paradigm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, to me, Mark, there are really eight steps to forming a nonprofit. And I think a lot of people miss these steps because they think more about them for profit rather than nonprofit. And step number one is that you have to choose a name for your nonprofit. And I like to tell people when you're choosing a name for your nonprofit, you need to think of something that really speaks to the activity in which your nonprofit will be doing. And there are three things we try to tell you to stay away from if you're developing a nonprofit or a for-profit when choosing a name. The first one is you want to stay away from names that are political, unless you are an organization that does nothing but that. You want to stay away from names of ethnicity because you will offend somebody in this piece because it's a nonprofit. Everybody's welcome, unless it's what your business does. And then the third piece of that, you really want to stay away from names that are, in fact, in, in my opinion, um, really are designed for a specific service but that may not be open to everybody. And by doing so, you think about it, when you're choosing a name for a nonprofit, it needs to have a broad appeal, and the activities of the nonprofit needs to be able to spell out exactly what you do. The second thing we look at is really selecting a legal structure, Mark. Now, for most people know that for profit, you have several choices you can choose. But for a nonprofit, you can only be a corporation, and that's a nonprofit corporation. And by doing so, you need to make sure that you specify that. Here's one thing that you may or may not know, Mark, that when you submit a 501c3 to the IRS, you literally go into that gate as a private foundation first unless your bylaws or activity or funding source dictate that you become something else, which is a private charity. Mm. And a lot of people don't know that, okay. that you, there are two choices of wow. doing so. Step number three is that you have to register this nonprofit with the Secretary of State's office. You have to register the nonprofit with the Secretary of State's office. You have to have bylaws and complete that transmittal form in order to do that. Step four, we ask them to go ahead and get an EIN number then. And some people will try to get an EIN number first and then go down that list. But if you go to the Secretary of State's office and the name is not available, then the EIN number will be no good. Right. So it's best yes, to be at in step okay. four. Yes. Now, here's something that happened in 1998 here in Georgia is that they require that every nonprofit also register their nonprofit under the solicitation and charitable division of the Secretary of State's office. And what this does, Mark, it allows you to be able to legally raise capital in the state of Georgia, and your name is placed on this charitable list so that anybody who is looking to give you capital can check you out on this list mm-hmm. and know that you've been completely vetted. Now, a lot of people don't know. They, they're riding around right now with 501c3, yeah. and they're not on this list. And believe it or not, if you're not on this list, you're not supposed to be raising capital in Georgia. You're actually doing it illegal, to be honest with you. And if somebody gave them capital and they checked on that list, they could be asked to return that capital. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's very important. It's very serious. Okay. Step right. six, believe it or not, right. is applying for the 501c3. All right? It's important to look at applying for the 501c3 after you've 
uh, uh, register with the charitable solicitation department, and then obviously getting the business license. That business license is best done around step seven because if you get your 501c3, typically that license would probably be free. The, the fees could be waived. And then choosing the time to launch. That's what's important, choosing the time really to launch. What we love about when we create nonprofits is that we create a product and a service for that nonprofit so that while you're waiting on grants to come in, you can still be selling some of those general products and services to the general public. Now, one of the misconceptions with this, Marcus, is that people will say, well, nonprofits are not supposed to make a profit. That is absolutely true. But what the federal government yeah. says is that nonprofit can generate income as long as that income goes into the general budget and is used for the purpose intended. Yeah, I tell people that uh, NFL is a nonprofit. Professional no golf Association is a nonprofit, multi-billion dollar exactly. industry. Goodwill yeah. is a let great me, uh, Yeah, let me, I'm going to go back to the 501c3. There used to be a long process to get that. They've shortened their process now, haven't they? You can do it online. Yeah, but, the thing, about that, yeah, but the thing about that piece is I like to tell people, it's still best to send the paperwork in because what happens is if you fill out any portion of that paperwork wrong, you run the risk of not only getting a kickback, but you run the risk of creating a private foundation versus a public charity. Now, both of these okay. are, are absolutely 501c3. The difference in that piece is that public charities are allowed to receive donations and contributions to support itself. Private foundations mm -hmm. can only be funded by a single source or multiple sources, but it's done in lump sums of capital, and they're used in a number of different ways to support itself. So typically they won't accept uh, donations, okay? Most of them are tax-deductible, mm -hmm. but it limit what you can do with either one of them. So you need to be very careful with that. And once you receive that letter, and if you become a private foundation, it takes almost heaven and earth being moved in order to change that to something else. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So it is available. You just need to be very sure about how you fill that paperwork out. Exactly. You need to be consulting okay. with an expert that knows exactly what they're doing. All right, all right. Wow. I mean, you put out some interesting stuff here. Uh, I know I stopped you. I think we were at eight or something like that. Um, but we're, uh, I think the last one you had was um, getting the EIN number. No, business license. But you want to do that? Yes, the business EIN license. Number. Mm -hmm. Now, it's important to know that when you're developing your nonprofit, your business license has to be in the place where the nonprofit is going to be housed. Not where you're providing services, but where it's going to be housed. And I tell people when okay. you think about that, it could be in the city or the county, but it's where the nonprofit is going to be physically located is where the business license is going to be issued. Okay. All right. Wow. And you mean you, you taking all the joy out of just realizing that nonprofit? You make it just work. <laughs> it is a lot of work. Yeah, it does a lot of good, but yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah. I just I just can't go out here and feed the homeless. You you make me have no, to work. No, no, you, you, you gotta do it right. 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 All these rules and regulations. And I think that's what the misconception is. A lot of times sure. people feel like a nonprofit is easier to start than a for profit. Yeah. You know, because all I gotta do is go out here. And, but it's actually 
You know what some people don't understand, too, is that you don't actually own a nonprofit. The you state do not own a nonprofit. You do not own a nonprofit. And, and, and what's critical about that, another misconception is that people don't know you can be kicked out of a nonprofit, even if you are the right. founder. You, all right? You well. can be kicked out of a nonprofit. Now, the way that we build uh, our social enterprise nonprofit is that we place inside the bylaws that the nonprofit would always be managed or ran by a member of the founding family, either through birth or through marriage. And that kind of protects you because the board votes Wow. Yeah, so wow. it's kind of a twist. We use okay. when we develop them to kind of make sure you don't lose something that you spent a lifetime building. Wow. I mean, that's pretty significant. You, you can, so you're saying you can start a nonprofit, run it for 10 years, and the board can say one day, you know what? No, we want to get somebody else in, and they can just vote you yes, out. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wow. So it's very important to understand that. And that's why. Tomorrow when we get together, we're going to be talking a lot about not only these 10 things that I believe you should know before starting a nonprofit, but we're also going to talk about the importance of a board of directors. Because, see, a great nonprofit will expand their board at least three times, Mark. And the board of directors, believe it or not, come in two forms. There's an advisory board that will only lend advice to the founder on things that may be working in or outside the nonprofit. And then there are there are board of directors that are that have fiduciary responsibility, meaning they determine how the money is going to be spent, and they literally hire the president and CEO who runs the day to day operation. But when you're doing this wow. and you're developing a 501c3, the first set of board members that you bring aboard are going to be people that say, "Hey, you know what, Mark? I love what you're doing. I'm not going to be able to participate a whole lot. Maybe I'll contribute some capital, but you can use my name to get your nonprofit started." And typically about five board members. Then the next okay. set of board members are people who will come aboard and say, Mark, I love your mission. I'll roll up my sleeves and go to work. I don't have a lot of capital, but I do have a lot of time. And then the last set of okay. board members will come aboard are going to be people who will write checks and say, look, I'll be able to support the nonprofit, but I don't have a whole lot of time. I can't come to a lot of the meetings, but you can count my capital in as a part of the mission. And those are great ways to expand your board. The problem, Mark, everybody goes to group number three first. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. The problem with going with group number three is that you have to make sure that all facets of your nonprofit are not only working like a well or machine, but you have to be able to read every single thing that you're doing. And if you can't do that, you could lose that person who will be able to write capital because they don't think you're ready. Wow. Yeah, they don't think you're ready. Wow. So it's very important to know how the board of directors will impact what you do. Oh, man. You got my hair hurting, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it, it, but it's very interesting. Because, and, uh, you know, hopefully tomorrow night uh, we got a lot of people signed up for the workshop because they really need to understand all of this because it's so important that sure. you do it right from the beginning. You know, because otherwise – you're going to find yourself all the way down the road and realize you ain't got no spare tire, so you didn't plan it right. And um, once the momentum is going with something, it's very hard to stop it and, you know, restructure it. So um, yeah. You're absolutely right. So You're absolutely right. Let's, let's spend a few minutes talking about this software that you developed that really helps nonprofits, you know, Thank stay you. in the 
You know, Mark, I tell you, man, I was so frustrated with all of the tools that were out there uh, as it relates to nonprofit organizations and keeping up with all of the paperwork uh, that was required by the IRS, keeping up with all of the paperwork that were required by funding sources, keeping up with all of the paperwork as it relates to the employees that we had. And there was just no system in place that allowed me to keep all of that together under one umbrella. And what was cool about that process, I really developed this software as a way of solving one of my own needs, to be honest with you. I was just overwhelmed at the number of support we've gotten for people who said, you know what, I needed this so long ago. And the name of the software is called Reader 2.0. And what it really does, it equips nonprofits with the tools necessary to turn their mission into an income-generating revenue center, attract new clients, create new levels of service, and improve the organization's competitive advantage. I really love that because I took a lot of time to make sure that, you know, this covered all of the bases of doing what we needed to do with our nonprofit. And we broke this down into three distinctive categories, Mark, building a nonprofit, running a nonprofit, and growing a nonprofit. And just to give you just okay. a couple things that the nonprofit software would do, uh, first of all, when you first cut this thing on, I love it. The dashboard allows you to be able to track your earnings, clients, order, fundraising goals, social media, your calendar of events, even your board of directors. Your key officers are listed right there on the front of this software so that if you needed to contact them for any reason, you can just click on that and obviously pull up the number and make the phone call. What I love about that is that so many times with decisions that need to be made in nonprofits, there's just not enough time sometimes, and a lot of times you can't find the information needed to go and do some of the things you need to do with your board. It makes sense. We also have a nonprofit assessment tool, Mark, where it takes them through the process of seeing if they're actually ready for this social enterprise business model. So it takes them through four or five functions of that. We have a social enterprise audit effort where we start to evaluate key components of the, the nonprofit's functions. It will help you develop a board of directors. It does tracking for your constituents and your target market. It does have some bookkeeping capabilities. It has a fundraising component. One of the things I needed wow. and I needed bad was a human resources component, Mark. That's a human resources right. component in it. It also has several different things that it will track in terms of reports, one in which is very important. We'll talk about this tomorrow. It also helps to produce a supplemental 990. And a 990 is okay. a tax form necessary right. for every single nonprofit to submit every year, regardless of how much capital you earn. Even if it was zero, you're required to submit this, this 990 form. And it does that. And one of the things I wanted to make sure they had in here, Mark, was this thing has a list of every Secretary of State in the United States, their telephone number, their website, and if this state requires wow. them to be listed on a charitable solicitation list or not. It also allows them to see what types of codes are necessary for the type of nonprofit that they're going to be starting. Very key in equipping them with everything they need in order to be a functioning nonprofit. All of the so, so how do they? Yes, sir. Everything, man. So how do they go find out more information about this? You know what? They can go onto our website. It's www.readasoftware.com. Readasoftware.com. 
So you haven't released event or anything like that? Or you just put it out there? You just go put it out there? Yeah, yeah well, what we did is that we released, um, actually launched this on August 1st, and we are now okay. going through the beta testing for the first 100, so we're offering a, a special price of 199 for the first 100 nonprofit organizations that take this software, begin to use it, give us feedback on it. And uh, uh, and at that point, we'll have an official launch party for it, perhaps August 1st, I think, is what our investors are saying. August 1st is when we're planning to, to launch it nationally. So we're very excited September. about this. Uh, I'm sorry, October. Yeah, October. Okay. Yeah. We had August. Yeah, October one. So I'll tell you what, man, we're coming down to the end here. I want you to give me like the one pearl of wisdom left that you can give the people that are thinking about getting out here and embarking upon this whole nonprofit journey that uh, they can stick with them so that they know what they're getting into. Uh, the one thing I think is very important is when you're developing a nonprofit, start with something you absolutely love to do, that you would do it on the top of Stone Mountain, rain, sleet, snow, and hail, and you would do it for no All money. Right. All I think right. that was probably the one thing I would tell people. Find your passion and follow it. All right. All right, Brother Ross, man, we're coming down to the end. Man, I just appreciate you coming out tonight. I appreciate you. Coming out tomorrow night down to the Urban League and parting your wisdom on us. We got a full class schedule, man, so it's gonna be exciting to see to see you in action again. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been on a sabbatical, oh, Batman, so doing your forty days and forty nights instead of building that's a right. new product. You like, I feel like you've been up on the mountain treating your Ten Commandments and stuff, man. So. I can't wait for you to see it. I'll bring a copy down. Yeah. All right. All right, man. So I'm excited. So, man, thanks for coming out tonight. Uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you tomorrow evening and uh, taking these people on a nonprofit journey. Yes, sir. Thank you again for having me, Mark. All right, man. So I'll talk with you later. Thank you. All right. So once again, people, as I said at the beginning, so you're going to learn something tonight. I mean, it's you, I know he talked, and you will need to go and listen to the um, playback on this so you can understand everything that he said. I'm going to make sure tomorrow that I actually will pull out his interview by itself and send that out so you all can listen to it. So you've been listening to Mark Parham, Cat Building Talk. We'll talk with real people talking about real issues trying to help you change your life, trying to help you build the capacity to change your life, helping you learn, helping you experience, and helping you do. I look forward to our next encounter, and uh, that'll be next week, Monday night. I'll talk with you later. I wasn't prepared to be a caregiver to mom. I had no idea how hard it would be and what I would need to know. Things I never thought of, like how to improve her mood and ways for me to stay positive. Luckily, I found the Caregiving Resource Center from AARP. It had articles about the basics, but also information about the hurdles I was facing. Caregiving Resource Center at aarp.org caregiving. Articles, tips, and tools to help you both care for your loved one and care for yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone who had to be independent and take initiative. And that's how I handle every project I get. Discover new ways to develop great talent at gradsoflife.org. Brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. Hey, this is Mark Parham, and I'm back. We're going to go into a segment now, which is the main topic for this show, is developing a board for your nonprofit. And uh, it's a very important factor that a lot of times people overlook. You know, I was going to do an article about, you know, eight steps of taking forth within your doors, but I'm going to tell you what, one of the most important aspects about starting a nonprofit is lining up the right board. You know, because in your bylaws, it, it kind of, it's the most important document of your organization that outlines everything and how you're going to do business. It's going to outline how you're going to select your board of directors, the term, and things like this. So it's very important. You're going to have to make decisions about if you're a sole founder, what do you want your role to be? Do you plan to serve on the board and be an overseer or hire an executive director to run the day-to-day operations? But we're going to get a lot of these questions answered tonight by Ms. Tori Hicks. Tori, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me. All right. I'll tell you what, Tori, as I do with everyone as they come on the show, I want you to do your... 30-second elevator pitch to tell us who Unique is and what you do to help nonprofits grow and become sustainable organizations. So you have the floor. Thank you. Unique is a nonprofit management company. Our name was coined because of the need for every single nonprofit to have a unique and youthful, fresh approach to their uh, nonprofit strategy because nonprofits are constantly changing and the needs are changing, and so it's important that nonprofits thrive with a youthful approach. And we assist nonprofits with all the tools and resources that they need in order to thrive. And I think that was 20 seconds. All right, all right. Well, you got 10 more if you want to use it. You can use it later <laughs> on. I'll let you wrap up with it. So let's, let's talk, let's get right into it because, uh, you know, I've burned up some time here. But like right now, you know, every, starting a nonprofit requires creating a board of directors that oversees the operation of the nonprofit. Let's talk about what the purpose of the board really is so we can just level the playing field so everybody understands what that is. I'm so glad that you you asked me that question because a lot of the thought behind board development is the traditional board. You have a founder that's really passionate about a specific cause, and then they identify other people that are also passionate, and everybody starts working, hit the ground running. And that's great to have that passion, but my question is if everyone's hitting the ground working and with the direct directly with the population, who's doing the board? job? And the answer is usually no one. And so the ethical and legal role of a board is to create policy and govern the organization, which is policy-focused decisions and not operational issues. Okay, when you say policy, give me an example of a policy versus operational decision. So a policy, there's 
two types of policy. One is programmatic policy and one is general policy. So depending on where the nonprofit is in their phase of development, if they're just getting started, a board would assist with creating programmatic policy, which means who is our target population? Who are we going to serve? What is the age of this group? Because in a nonprofit organization, the owners are not the founder, they're not the board members, it's the population that they serve. And so the board would first need to identify who is that, po who is that population that we're going to serve. So that's one type of policy. The other would be uh, general policy, which would be a whistleblower policy, sexual harassment policy, those that keep the organization running and that keeps it ethical and avoid any legal issues. Now, when people start a board, you know, I guess the startup board, you're going to be more focused on a working board, somebody they roll their sleeves up and they do the work of a nonprofit to fulfill this mission and, you know, kind of help make a sustainable organization. But that board kind of changes over time. How long does that take? I mean, I guess they need to have entrepreneurial spirit and abundance of energy and things like this. But that's usually how a board starts. A board traditionally usually starts by rolling up their sleeve and working directly with the population, whether it's seniors or children. But that is not mm -hmm. the ethical role of a board. It should actually start with the board starting the organization and identifying the CEO or executive director, which I know sounds very foreign because it's usually the other way around. But the structure is set up so that the nonprofit board comes together and they create policy from the very beginning. And they create the policy that then is delegated to the CEO, the staff, or the interns to carry it out. Okay. Well, what kind of traits, you know, when we look at board members, you know, other than having that abundance of energy and that entrepreneurial spirit, what are other kind of traits that you – look for when you want a good board member? I'm glad that you asked that because there's a myth that people should identify board members that have a background in marketing, that have a background in accounting, have a background in law. And although these traits are a complement to the board, really what policy and governance stresses is those board members that have some skills in developing policy that have some strategic thinking skills that are able to analyze because that is the foundation of the board. And, of course, the fundraising and all of those skills are a complement. But the key thing is understanding that a board and policy and governance is not a volunteer that's going to be working with the children and tutoring them and, and doing all those fun things. It's an indirect need. It's critical role, but it's more indirect. I heard you use the word fundraising. So you have to have a board member that, what they say, ain't too proud to beg, you know, go out there Fund raise the funds for the organization. A nonprofit board is responsible for fulfilling the mission of an organization. So, yes, at some point, uh, board members are going to be asked to to go out and represent the organization and ask for funding. So, yes, that is a portion of it. It's not the largest piece, but it is a portion because you have to have funding in order to run a nonprofit organization. But the most important piece is the funding strategy, 
You can't go after funding until you have the strategy or the policy in place that will govern those the ability to seek, seek insecure funding. Yeah, okay, so let's let's talk about that. You know, a lot of organizations, first thing they do, they get their five hundred one C three, they start writing grants, they start going after funding. What's the problem with going out for funding and receiving funding without having those policies or the governance in place? It's it's very difficult and we get calls all the time from organizations that ask us to assist them with with fundraising because that's what we automatically think that we need. But once we start working with an organization and we begin to peel back the layers, we realize that there's some structural things that are going on that is more important than seeking the funding because nonprofits are very similar to businesses. You have to structure it. You have to market it. You have to do all those things that businesses need in order to grow into empires nonprofits at the grassroots level, they need them to grow and be a large organization like United Way or the America Red Cross. And so the structure is important because you're selling your organization in some ways to a potential donor that is going to partner with you, and they have to trust that you're going to uphold their name. And so it is really about the business of nonprofit organizations and making sure that they're structured, that they can fulfill their mission, and that they have enough support in terms of capacity to do that. You know, one other question I get a lot of times is, you know, in a nonprofit just starting up, how many people need to be on the board out of the gate? You know, what's the recommended amount? You know, because sometimes it's a husband and wife starting a nonprofit and they just want to do it themselves. But what's your recommendation on the number of board members to start with? I think that we can get so caught up on the number of board members in terms of quantity instead of quality. I think that Mm -hmm. the minimum is three board members, and if you have three board members that understand their role in terms of policy and governance, that's more effective than having ten or more board members that are just there and that don't understand their role and they're not doing anything. And so if you can find 10 board members that understand their role, that's great. The more the merrier. But if they're not effective, then what's the point? So I suggest trying to identify at least three that are willing to make the commitment and even be trained so that they understand and carry out their role. Okay. Now, does a nonprofit need a business plan. A lot of times I talk to people and they go, no, I'm just going to get out here and save the world. And they don't feel they need one. They're just going to write grants and write proposals. So what's your feeling on business plans for nonprofits? If you don't have a roadmap, you don't have direction. And there's no realistic step in order to achieve the goals or fulfill the mission. It is imperative. It's one of the first things that we do, and we just call it a strategic plan, that's okay. one of the first steps to to giving the, a nonprofit a realistic roadmap and then being able to share the plan with others. I mean, nowadays in terms of charity and fundraising, people are so skeptical because there's so many scams. And so you have to prove that your organization is in a good position in order to make good use of funding and support, because it's just it's just challenging now. It's challenging. 
So, so we call it a strategic plan for nonprofits. And for you know, we have this discussion sometimes. You know, business for profit versus nonprofit. So, in a nonprofit arena, we call it a strategic plan. But but it has all the same elements of a regular business plan, though. Correct. Right. I would say the biggest difference is between the business and the strategic plan is that in a strategic plan for a nonprofit, you're you're proving the need for your program in terms of research and current philanthropic trends. You're showing that there's a need based on the research you've done in that population. From my my experience with business plans, you're you're showing a little bit more competition. But for okay. a strategic plan and a nonprofit, you're showing, hey, that there is hundreds and hundreds of homeless individuals that are in this metro Atlanta area that we need to serve right now. Okay, so you're showing the need. You know, that's where that whole statement of need comes in there for what you're doing. Exactly. Uh, okay. So it's a little bit more right. of that and less of the competition piece that you would show in your uh, business plan. Okay, now for the $64,000 question, how do you find <laughs> board members? Okay, you know, how does it happen? I know you can talk about the event you're having tomorrow night, but just without that kind of event that you're doing, how do you find good board members? Networking. And, that, and finding board members is challenging. It's one of the largest challenges that I hear from nonprofits is identifying board members. And I think it's partly because we think that we need these specific skills in board members. So we think we need, you know, someone that represents from board or we think we need this. But really, a lot of board members are in our network, are in our circles. These people are committed. They may not have the extensive background, but they're committed and they're willing to be trained. And so we look for board members to say, I have a passion about this mission and I'm willing to be trained on policy and governance because most people are not trained in policy and governance. And so really looking into your to your circle, doing a peer-to-peer, uh, looking for board members and getting out and networking and saying, these are my needs. We need some committed board members, diverse board members. So I like the fact that you said the committed board member can be trained. So – if they have a commitment to the to the mission of the organization first, uh, organizations like Youth League can come in and train them on how to properly be on the board. Yes, and sometimes it's better <laughs> that potential board members have not had any previous board experience because they're okay. more open to the concept because policy and governance in most eyes is very non-traditional because we're used to putting our board members to work. We're used to giving them a mop, you know, and giving them a book and giving them all these things. So sometimes it's it's better to have a committed person that may not have had previous experience get trained and understand it the correct way. Okay. Well, let's talk about your event that you're going to have at the Apex tomorrow evening. And, you know, you, you call it a board mixer. What's going to go on here? We're going to be mixing it up, Mark. No, it's <laughs> I love doing <laughs> these <laughs> because because it's an opera, it's in a relaxed kind of fun environment. You have potential nonprofit board members. You have 
NPO leaders there, and you give them an opportunity to speak to each other, to talk to each other um, about their needs. There's a, a icebreaker that we do um, to get them communicating with one another, and we talk about policy and governance because we want potential board members to understand what they're getting into. We don't want to just feed them some gold nugget and say, here, come on, and then give them something else. We want them to know that it is a commitment and that it is work. However, it's very rewarding work. It provides them, the potential board members with some great benefits. But it also gives nonprofit leaders an opportunity to pitch their mission. And that's one of the okay. things that we empower nonprofit leaders to do is to pitch their mission as if it's a business and you're pitching, you're doing your elevator speech. And so they have an opportunity to share their mission with potential board members. This sounds exciting. So I'll tell you what, um, we're going to go to break here, but when we come back, we're going to bring on Mr. Kelly, who's going to tell us how his organization was before you started working with him and how it's functioning now so we can kind of see the difference and get his experience as being a board member on how it affects his organization. So you're listening to Mark Parham and Tori Hicks on Cap Builder Talk. Thank you for joining us this evening on the Cap Builder Talk radio show with your host, Mark E. Parham. It is our mission to provide you with the information you need to make educated decisions. Decisions that will help you walk in your purpose. We are here every Monday evening starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. To be a guest or for more information, go to capbuildertalk.com. Please post comments on facebook.com forward slash capbuildertalk. We hope you enjoy the show. <laughs> 